Welcome into the Young Dad Podcast. It's your man, Jay. Unfortunately, not with me today is my 5 out of 5 star rated Uber driver, my brother, my co-host, A.A. Ron. He's not here to greet the people today, unfortunately, but you got me, and that's going to be enough for today. We have an amazing show for you today, February 22nd, 2023. We are bringing on new friend of the show, Jason Brick, author of Safe Home Blueprint. Safest family on the block, 101 tips, tricks, hacks, and habits to keep your family safe. He's also the creative mind and entity host, owner of Safest Family on the Block podcast and the website to go along with it. All those are going to be linked in the show notes here. We're going to be talking about some of the common myths when it comes to child safety, like bullying, school shootings, stranger danger, and so much more. You will not want to miss this episode. So go ahead and pull up a chair. Grab a snack, grab a juice box, let's talk. I know the people are excited. We're excited to be here. Jason, thanks for coming on today. We're super excited to have you. Go ahead and tell our live studio audience and all our listeners a little bit about you and kind of expand on what you're about, why you're here today. Thing. Thank you so much for having me on today. I've really, really been excited about this interview. So I'm Jason, and I spent the first half of my adult life uh, teaching martial arts, working in the security sphere, bouncing some bodyguard work, site security, that sort of thing. And I spent the second half of my adult life in journalism. And I've got two kids of my own and then some other ones running around who are kind of like my kids. I'm a, you know, I'm an uncle and all of that. And I realized during my martial arts journey, that the things I had learned to protect myself were not very applicable to protecting my children. And so I took the things I learned as a journalist and the things I know about safety and security from my that earlier career, and I've combined them into a podcast and a project that I call Safest Family on the Block, where I take that lens of my own experience and expertise, and I interview subject matter experts ranging from you know, special forces soldiers, spies, law enforcement, but also uh, nutritionists, suicide counselors, communication specialists, EMTs, ER nurses, anybody who knows something about how to keep my kids safer, I bring them on the show and I listen carefully and I share what I learned with my audience. Awesome. So what what made you want to create Safest Family on the Block? You kind of mentioned between your journalism career, martial arts career, and realizing I have all these skills nothing else, but what, what launched you really down that path? Like let dive, dive into that a little bit more for us. So there's a, that, that one point, that crux point was my first son, we actually adopted at age of seven. And it was an in-family adoption when his parents became suddenly incapable of caring for him medically. So we went from no kids at all to, holy crap, we have a kid over the space of a few weeks. As opposed That's to that war- that warning time most of us quit with a kid of a nine months plus yeah, however long it took you to try. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so I found myself suddenly in the situation. And during those weeks when it was happening, I was just happened to be in a class where we were practicing gun disarms. And I noticed how many of them pointed the barrel away from me, but just past me at about hip level, which is right where a seven-year-old's head is. And so I realized, well, that's very concerning. (laughs) Right. And then I kind of looked at the things I had learned as a martial artist and doing the kind of security I had and very little of it really applied to keeping my child safe. And, 
you know, one of the things about being a martial artist your whole life is it turns you into a lifelong learner. So my, you know, through the influence of some of the people who've taught me who are amazing human beings, I just kind of set my mind to figuring out how to protect my kid. And that led to having conversations first in the bodyguard community, because that was the things that I had been learning that most closely related to parenting. And then out from there. Uh, and then the, the Sayers family on the block was just, it was a, it was a COVID seizure. You know, I'm sitting there gotcha. and I'm thinking, Hey, what, what am I going to do? Well, how about I do this? And then I right. do that. It's been going for the last three years and okay. it's come yeah, along. You're from, been... you're from Oregon. So you guys, Correct. I'm from Washington and yeah. Aaron's from California. So we all were kind of in that same boat, but you guys definitely in Oregon, Portland area, yeah. We're probably the strictest out of the entire West Coast outside of LA and probably like King County, Seattle. Yeah. It got it got pretty hairy. And then we had not only the COVID, but then also the riots all kind yes, of intermixing yeah. in their own bizarre ways. So between those things, you know, it, it really weighed on my mind. Plus, you know, nobody was working, including me, so I had a lot of time on my hands. Makes sense, and, yeah. But it's, you know, it's continued. And uh, the thing that I've really appreciated about it more than anything else is the generosity and quality of the people who have come on to the show. I mean, these are world-class experts who just come on to share information. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. So you, you mentioned you did martial arts. That mm -hmm. kind of prompted you a lifelong learner. Um, when did you start doing martial arts? And then journalism, now here, what? What's kind of driven you behind those two those two paths? Because they're very, very different. One, you're moving your body, you're fighting, you're punching, you're getting punched, you're getting kicked. Um, you look like a jujitsu guy. Uh, maybe some Brazilian jujitsu. Maybe I'm wrong. But and then you went into journalism. And now you're promoting, you know, family safety. Like what were all those steps like? Those because they're these are all just different. They're all so different from one another. They are a bit, and but in the same way, in some ways they're the same. You know, my martial arts journey started when I was 11 years old, and my dad made me join the wrestling team, and it was a it was a war because I did not want to, but it turned out I really liked it. And then um, I wasn't quite at the level to compete at the college level, so I stopped wrestling, but I missed it, and I ended up in Taekwondo for a while, then Muay Thai yep. kickboxing, then Kempo, and I did I have done some BJJ, but really in a very dilettante fashion. Most oh, of my grappling is still like high school collegiate wrestling. Gotcha. Um, and then I, you know, I did some bodyguard and some safety and some security work bouncing in my twenties. Then I had, I ran a karate school for about 10 years. Oh, and wow. Okay. That kid came around and um, martial arts, running a martial arts school is an evenings and weekends job. Yeah. And I realized very quickly that I could not be the dad I wanted to be working an evenings and weekends job. True. True. Makes sense. Yeah. And throughout that time, I had been an aspiring writer, had a couple of novels on the shelf. I wrote blogs and uh, set a column for my local paper on safety, had a couple of uh, submissions go out in Black Belt magazines, that, that sort of thing. And so when I was realized, well, I can't run a karate school and be the dad I want to be, why don't I try this freelance writing journalism thing? And I honestly think that because of the discipline and approach to work ethic that I learned in the martial arts, I was able to make a go of that. Okay. And that let me, you know, work from home and go to the soccer games and the plays and be all the, available. All the best parts of being a dad. Those are exactly. seriously the best, the best parts. Like, hands down, 
if anyone ever asked me like what's the best part about being a dad i'm gonna say it's once their brain turns on as a toddler and that early like development like two three years old when their brain finally clicks on that's when it gets fun um and then they just grow and they start doing all these activities they start learning they it's just you just start seeing all the clicks click 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 you see them just develop these skills at a crazy pace and yeah. you just get to be there to witness it. Like I'm fortunate enough that I get to coach uh, my oldest daughters. I got to coach her T-ball team last year. You know, I got to um, coach flag football as she did cheer. So I didn't get to really see her practice, but I got to be at like all her cheer games and uh, watch her cheer. And, you know, I get to be there in the dugout on the field with her, um, you know, T-ball practices, t-ball games like i'm i'm there all the time for everything she has going on and you know those are the best moments about being a dad like hands down is actually getting to see it all come together you know dance performances all that it's it's hands down the best thing but yeah so you know you went into journalism you had a couple books on the shelves you realized okay you know karate's not for me cobra kai is not my life um which for Cobra Kai, is that pretty like accurate for what it's like in the karate spirit? Or is that just like so dramatized to this point? Um, I don't know if you've watched so, it. So the Kung Fu fighting martial arts feuds um, are overstated. There's, I heard, I've heard rumors about it from like in the seventies and eighties, there's a bit of that. I do know of a guy whose school got blown up no. um, by a competitor in, I think it was Tucson back in the, in the late seventies. What? Uh, but you know that that was back in the. This is a, a very well kept secret. But in the seventies and eighties, there was a whole lot of cocaine in the martial arts. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a whole lot of cocaine everywhere, right? Yeah, I was gonna say it was everywhere in the seventies. Yeah. It was in professional sports. It was in the one percent circles. It was in. Yeah. It was on the left. It was on the right. It didn't matter. Everyone had cocaine. If you're thinking about a sport where, you know, full contact fighting, if somebody can take a drug that makes you faster and dulls your sensations of pain, um, you're going to do it. it got out there. And so, so things got a little wild and woolly then. I came in just at the very tail end of that. So I never participated, but I knew people who had, as opposed to most people these days, know somebody who knows somebody who might have. Um, that was just kind of like urban myths and kind of yeah. like legends. Yeah. and. But the, the hassles of running a karate school... And some of the real, real realities of you're doing your own work on the wall in a strip mall at 11 o'clock at night after everybody goes home. That's very much a part of the industry. Okay. <laughs> so more of like, um, why can't the blonde character, why, why can't I, Daniel and um, Johnny. Johnny, I can't, why couldn't I remember that? But Johnny, so it's very more like when Johnny was first opening up um, yeah. Cobra Kai, bringing it back, Eagle Thang is more like that kind of just very rough around the edges. It's not all pretty like, you know, the last, this latest season, season five, this high tech dojos and. Those also exist. Um, But that's, that's, that's been going on for the last 10 years or so where a lot of, there's enough people and there's enough money in the industry now that you're Mm -hmm. getting like actual capital investment from venture capitalist firms and stuff in there. Large national chains and things like that. Well, yeah, because fighting is huge. I mean, it's blown up like. Yeah. USC boxing is probably the healthiest it's ever been. Um, UFC mixed martial arts. They're probably the healthiest they've been in their entire lifespan of the sports. And yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of money being thrown at them because these kids see a path. That's not 
the four big sports, NHL, you know, hockey, football, basketball, baseball, where they can still be these superb athletes, but they can go this other path of almost least resistance because yeah. there's not as many people funneling in that. And if mm. they're talented and athletic enough, then let them. You know, I know Aaron's really big into it. His girls, um, his oldest one, I think he's gotten her into like karate or boxing or something like that. Um, she's already in it. She's six. My, unfortunately, my ex-wife is very much against against it. Even though at five, six, they're not really getting hit that hard. They're not going to be knocked out. They're not going to be knocked. She's not going to be knocked on her butt or anything. But she's very much against like having the self-defense to where she would rather just teach her really good communication skills and emotional intelligence, which I'm all for. But you have to have both. I feel, I don't know what your take on that, but your kid having both the physical and the emotional and communication skills. I absolutely agree with that. And I I have a, have a bit of unsolicited advice on that, a way to kind of sneak it in. Bring it. Parkour. Okay. Parkour classes are everywhere from self-defense. It is running away effectively. Um, Very much so. Highly athletic, you know, highly athletic. Uh, Yeah. Kid gets acclimatized to a uh, structured classroom environment. Yeah, uh, you learn how to fall down without getting hurt, and then the other thing that the, one of the things that karate training does for kids, and very few other places do, is you learn how to deal with fear. Because you know, you get on that line to spar, or you get up there to present your kata in front of your teacher, and mm-hmm. you get the adrenal dump, you get the hormones, the the stress hormones, and you have to manage that fear in that moment. Most now, definitely. in parkour, you're jumping off of off of or onto things that are twice your height. You're jumping over a gap where it would be like a five foot fall to a mat, but you know, your, your lizard brain doesn't know that that mat's soft. And so kids learn how to deal with fear in a safe and controlled environment in, in parkour in the same way they do in martial arts. So I recommend parkour, especially for younger kids and especially for a parent whose co-parent isn't necessarily on board with the violent part of martial arts. Parkour will get the same stuff. No, that makes a lot of sense because it still teaches their brains, you know, to anticipate the fall, but and like anticipate the human contact to not like flinch up and tense up to where yeah. they they're they're safe about it almost. It's like you said, yeah. very controlled environment, which is super important for kids of any age. Yeah. You know, being in that controlled environment, learning how to do it, falling down, getting up. I think all those things are just they're great for kids, and every kid, mm-hmm. if if fortunate enough, should be able to have do those things. At least yeah. one of the variations somewhere on the spectrum. So, yeah. You know, I don't know if uh, don't know if your ex will sign off on it, but that's a is a really good place for, especially in that relationship where one parent wants the martial arts and the other one's not comfortable with it. Yeah, no, and then I mean, she likes she's interested in like gymnastics and whatnot. Mm. So I mean, it's the same thing almost. You just get to run around more and jump and yeah, off of things. So yeah, you know. <laughs> and and that's I mean, we did that when it was called. Damn it, kid, you're about to break your neck instead of parkour. (laughs) Okay, so I actually, I thought it was, wasn't going to be as big of a a deal. So when I was like 13, 14, I lived in Hawaii with my grandparents, my maternal grandfather and my step-grandmother. And I thought I was super cool. Um, I climbed up on the roof on a ladder to get a ball down. I was playing with some kids. The girl, the really cute girl on the block was there. You know, I, I think she knew I liked her. But mm. I was way too chicken to like talk to her, like actually, like, I was like thirteen, so you know, it's thirteen year old stuff. But 
I had asked her, you know, we were playing. She threw the ball on the roof. I'm like, oh, no, I got it. I got it. It was my roof of my the house I lived in. And I climbed up there on the ladder, got it down. But then I couldn't get down from the ladder because it was too no. far away from my leg to get back to the top. Because I kind of had like lift myself on the roof. So you can see yeah. where this is going. So I'm yeah. like, oh, it's only like 10 feet. It's like 10, 11 feet. Jump down. No problem, right? Mm-hmm. So I jumped down. Mm. I land in like a Spider-Man pose. Nice. But to where, but I had one, my right knee was bent. And then I couldn't move my leg. I cracked the growth plate in my knee. Oh, no. I still grew after it. It healed. Yeah. But then my knee was like straight. And then to add insult to injury, Mother Nature was like, you're dumb. So in Hawaii, you you always leave your windows open because it's always hot, humid. And mm. when windstorms and whatnot come through, rainstorms, you open the windows because of the air and whatnot. So windows open. I'm in. I'm already on crutches. I'm going to the bathroom. I'm leaving the bathroom. And my hand's in the door jam. <gasps> my right so my right leg's already in the cast. My right hand's in the door jam. Wind blows, crushes mm. my hand, breaks my pinky in three places, breaks the top of my ring finger. Worst part about, so my grandma was a uh, lieutenant at the security facility in Honolulu. We lived on the West Coast in Waianae, about an hour, hour and a half away. Um, she wasn't at home. It was just my grandpa. And he's like, oh, you're fine. Just put ice on it. As my hand is three times the size of my left hand. <laughs> and I should have laughed, but I'm laughing. <laughs> it was awful. Like, I just had awful luck. Oh, so, no. Oh, yeah, no. You, for, I guess more from that story is, I wish I would have known parkour or anything like that, how to get down from a roof, or just had any yeah. of that experience of, like, how to land. Anything like yeah. that would have been great. So, Yeah. All right, so, you know, kind of looking through some of your your material here. I checked out Saving Family on the block.org. Your YouTube channel, awesome. Your Instagram, awesome. Just the topics you talked about are great. But specifically, you talk about some of the biggest myths in child safety, which there are so many. There are oh, so, so many. many. So this many. Could talk 15 episodes plus on this for an hour at a time like could have a marathon about this and be doing a telethon taking donations as we talk about it but give me a couple of your biggest myths that are that you have busted when it comes to child safety so first thing i haven't busted anything because i just i'm not very smart i listen to smart people and remember what they tell me okay makes Um, sense makes sense but that are on the brink of being busted i guess yeah, like the biggest one for me is stranger danger. And because stranger danger, don't talk to strangers. We're of an age that we talk, we're taught that every day. You know, don't don't talk to strangers. And it's it's a bad idea and it doesn't work. And it's, and it's a bad idea for a lot of reasons. One of the most important ones is they did a thing on the Oprah show and multiple other studies outside of that where they would teach kids about stranger danger, about don't talk to strangers, about don't go to str- go with strangers. And then they'd have the kids play on a playground and have an actor come up that they didn't know and lure them away from the playground. And every single kid went with them. And when asked why, they said something like, he wasn't a stranger, he was nice. 
if yeah. there were they would do a stranger danger talk and then have kids draw a picture of a stranger and very frequently they would have horns and fangs and tails. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. Okay, I kind of see so, where this is going. Continue. Continue. Right. So that so first of all, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And the second part is, as adults, we don't model it. We talk to strangers all the time. All the time when we're with our kids, like to yeah. us, they're not strangers. But like, yeah. like I was at the the home and garden show here in yeah. uh, Washington this last weekend, and I recognized another coach from the little league. Yeah. I knew who he was. I just shake his hand. I start talking to him. No problem. Yeah. My daughter even, don't know who this guy is. Yeah. And you did. And then you also talk to strangers constantly. We, when we go shopping at the grocery store. Uh, hey, buddy, sorry about that. Right. We speak to strangers all the time. So we're not modeling it and it doesn't work. Makes sense. And then no. also the overwhelming majority of people are good people, which means the overwhelming majority of strangers are good people see and i can't agree with that more like there's this weird preconceived Mm -hmm. like context like just out there in the world that everyone's a bad person like everyone Mm -hmm. you meet is bad for some reason like but yet in our justice system innocent until proven guilty yeah and that's like a big pet peeve of mine is like i don't know this person i don't i have not conceived any notions context judgment even though i try not to judge people but i haven't gotten to know them as a person at all i have not given them their fair chance to sway me to good or bad about them yeah and i hate when people are trying to tell you that they're good they're bad this is why they're bad it's like okay but that's your view of them from how many years ago three four five years ago last time you saw them last time you talked to them how long ago was that their growth can happen people can change I truly believe that. So like you said, more people are, good, people are good than not. And so, and if you're teaching them that every stranger you know is a bad guy, then you're raising them in a terrifying, disempowering world. Oh, yeah. And They're then you add fear. to the fact that if you look at the numbers about people who hurt children, overwhelmingly it's somebody they know. It's, oh, my goodness. It's like... <laughs> it's a coach. It's, a, it's an it's uncle. It's a they teacher. Know. It's, it's someone they know. It's, it's, it's their sister's new boyfriend. You know, it's all of those people. Yeah. So you take it's, all of that and don't talk to strangers. It's dumb. And then my the most important one for me is that if your child needs help, they have to talk to a stranger. Because <laughs> if there was someone around they knew, they wouldn't need help. They would be getting help right then. True. Police are strangers, firefighters are strangers. Yeah, right. Telling them not to talk to strangers robs them of their own agency if they're in a situation where we can't help them. Very true. Very true. And, you know, as they get older, they're away from us more. Yeah. I mean, I think with that, it's more about teaching them the right people to talk to in certain situations. It's about making them aware, like, okay, when you're out and you need help, Mm -hmm. you know, like let's say for my girls, I'm gonna yeah. encourage them to, if they're in danger, yeah. run to a if they're on a block or something, mm-hmm. run yeah. to the first house you can find. I don't care yeah. who. Like more than likely, nine times out of ten, that person's yes. gonna see a child. They're gonna react. Instinct's mm-hmm. gonna take over. It's like I gotta get this child out of danger. Yeah, talk to them, figure out what's going on. Yeah. You Most know? people will help a child with danger, and there's there's ways. And, and as you say, the solution is. And here's the crazy thing. We've known this since the 90s. Yeah. And, and, you know, security people know this. Law enforcement people know this. 
but a lot of, but it's still, people still say, don't talk to strangers. But what we yep. want to do instead is teach their kids, our kids from very young, what kind of stranger is the safest to approach. And from, with your youngest kid, you just teach them one line. I mean, these are, these are toddlers, right? Mm-hmm. If you can't find your family, find another family. Look yeah. for an adult with children. That, and that might that, be yes. parents with their kids. It might be an older sibling with younger siblings. It might be a babysitter or a nanny. It might be the grandparents. It doesn't matter. Well, whoever, Statistic- just find someone with kids. Yeah, right. And because that's easy for the kid to see and recognize. You're not looking for something subtle that a four-year-old is going to forget. So like, yeah. I can't find my, my family. Find someone else's family. Because the adult in that constellation is statistically really unlikely to hurt a stranger's child. And <laughs> is very and parents will stop at nothing other than endangering their own children to reunite a lost child with their family. True. You know, yeah, that, like that, that, if a random the, child comes up to me, I'm going to be like, okay, stop. What are we doing? Yeah. Who are you? Where is your parents? Like yeah. my oldest daughter, she has my number memorized and she has her mother's number memorized. Yeah. She's five. Like she yeah. has them both memorized. Like her and her sister are usually always attached, like attached to each other one way or another. Like they're always close by each other. So no, if I got separated, at least I have the older sister who's five going on six can at least attempt you know and if they just remember you know if you drill it into them if i can't find my parents find someone else's parents and then that's that's from the youngest age and as they get older you can kind of add some nuance to that expand it one of my favorites is from a guy named spencer corson who's uh he's been a bodyguard for years and years and years before that he was an army ranger Mm -hmm. and he says and he teaches older kids and we're talking early elementary to mid-elementary the three f's Okay. Well, first one's family. So again, you look for a family. Second okay. one's food, where you walk into a restaurant and you talk to the person behind the counter because they've got a Yelp review on the line now. The staff isn't going to harm a child terribly. And also they're in a place with food, water, a restroom, Wi-Fi, and medical supplies. <laughs> okay, that okay, that makes so much sense. Okay, so food, right. so family, food. What's the third one? A flags. So you look for a building with a flag on it or a uniform with a flag on it. Because okay, then that you're makes... walking into schools, post offices, you're talking to police, firemen, security guards. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, yeah, no, because that's what I was thinking for, like, you know, when I mentioned, like, recognizing, like, yeah. being aware of the right people. It's going to be, like, your firefighters, your police officers, anyone in uniform. Yeah. Like, an official uniform of any kind. Like, I've always taught my girl since, or my oldest since she was really young, like, to recognize service members. Yeah. And to go up and hey, thank them for their service. But at the same time, like she knows that's someone that's like okay to approach. Yeah. I've always taught her to be really kind to police. You know, this world, especially living in the Northwest, that's yeah. not the appropriate or common narrative. The common narrative now is F the police and yeah. all cops are bad and all this stuff about just negativity toward the police. But I've always taught my kids and we'll continue teaching them. Like when you see a police officer, say hi, ask them for a sticker. Cause they usually carry little stickers in their, in their things, wave to a police officer, wave to a firefighter, wave to a medical an ambulance worker, anything like that. Yeah. Reinforcing like these are people who are okay to approach. It's their job to help if you come to them. Correct. You know, and as kids get older and uh, you know, Race plays a factor in here, but not as much as maybe some people are saying that 
once you get about teenage size, you also learn how to approach a police officer in a way that doesn't freak them out. And that's mm-hmm. important too. But, yeah. you know, so with those things about find a family, fa- family's food and friend and flags, the other thing is that while you're out every once in a while, we ask our kid, hey, if, if I wasn't here to help you and you were lost, which, which of the people in this room would you approach? Yes. No, and I then love why. that. And then as they get older, like tweens and teens, they're old enough to you, you to kind of step away from those hard and fast rules and start talking about, okay, well, why wouldn't you approach that guy? Well, these are the reasons he gives me a bad vibe. Why would yeah. you approach that person? These are the reasons that I think that would be a very safe person because maybe they spotted that she's got a teacher's lanyard on that says a school that she knows about, mm-hmm. or maybe there's a you know there's a nurturing vibe to her, or she saw the way your the your teenager saw the way that that person interacted with the person behind the counter or yeah. with an elderly person and just kind of got the sense, okay, that's that's a solid person. And so you can start yeah. building the tools of intuition and also teaching yeah. them from the beginning that you respect mm-hmm. their intuition. Yes, 100%. I love that. That's something that Aaron and I talk about a ton mm-hmm. is that hate and respect and right and wrong and all these things, they are taught by yeah. parents. You don't mm-hmm. just, kids just don't pick up hate or bad vibes yeah. or negative thinking or anything like that mm-hmm. about people it's taught it's all yeah. taught you can teach your child like you're saying these right things are intuition why be in that scenario that's the best thing because you can talk about it all day at home yeah but if you're like out and about like you're in the grocery store very commonplace you know yeah these common places that you go all the time what are you going to do now, you know? Yeah. And obviously don't push it on your kid. Like my daughter, she's just like, oh, I don't want to talk about this right now. I know, I know, I know. It's like, okay, we're not going to talk about it right now. I get it. You know, I was just trying to review with you. But yeah, respecting yeah. their intuition and whatnot is perfect. Yeah. And then you can do that. Like you're just waiting in line at the grocery store and you got your eight-year-old. And you say, hey, if you were lost and you came in here and needed to get help, who would you go to? Right. And then most of them will say, well, the lady at the counter or the guy at the counter. And then as they're older, you say, and let's just pretend they're not available. Which person in line do you think would be the safest to approach and why? And you can have that conversation get more robust and more, more detailed and rely more on their development and insights as a human being as it gets older. And this is so much better than don't talk to strangers, <laughs> which is disempowering and untrue. <laughs> Yeah, no, 100% agree. 100% agree there. All right, so talking to strangers, I think we can consider that one on the brink of being busted. There's more effective yeah. strategies. There's a way to go about it. Um, when it comes to our kids being in school, because honestly, it's such a sense of relief to a point when our kids go into you know, elementary school, you know, full-time and whatnot. Yeah. Kind there is nice. a little bit of that free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. There is a part of that when we send our kids to school. But yeah. not mm-hmm. really anymore as to when, you know, when I was a kid going to school, late 90s, early yeah. 2000s, same for Aaron. You know, very different from yeah. probably when you went to school as well. Um, yeah. As opposed to sending our children to school now. There's so much more they have to worry about, you yeah. know, bullying, shootings are yeah. a huge one cyber bullying and Aaron and I touched on this in our last episode you know we kind of got into some of those things like there's like this whole thing on like 
fat phobia and clothing and what you wear. You know, there's so many things that go into being a kid now that have always been there, but there's like a new sense of awareness around these things. So when it comes to school safety, you know, bullying, shootings, what do you have to say to some of those topics, especially when it comes to just a school setting? So the most important thing on that is, first I want to preface that with saying that, again, the overwhelming majority of teachers, coaches, para-educators, para playgroundies, bus drivers, administrators, district personnel, are good people with the best intentions, highly educated, great at their jobs, put in a position with just a ridiculous amount of pressure and with their attention pulled in the 3,000 ways at once. And what that means is that even though teachers have the best intentions, they may not be in the right place at the right time. They may be forbidden by policy or they might just have other priorities thrust upon them mm -hmm. that take precedence in that moment to keeping our children safe. Yeah, well, I mean, so, we can... Let's let's reference a recent event. Um, very big recent event was the six-year-old, I believe it was in Colorado. Is that the one that shot his teacher? On the, the, the one that shot his teacher. So I, yeah. you know, really looked into this a bit um, before you, you coming on. But um, so apparently there was at least four to six reports. I want to say it was five exactly, but I'll give a range just to be safe of different teachers, students, the teacher himself, classmates of that student who all went to the administration mm -hmm. and said, hey, they have a gun. They're planning on shooting. There was kids in tears yeah. in front of the administration saying, hey, this person said they're going to shoot. They have a gun. They showed it to me. You know, it's in their backpack. It's in their locker. Not once did they follow through the first report didn't follow through with it second one didn't do anything third one checked his backpack nothing there kid could have moved it you know held on to it you know fourth one checked walked around didn't see nothing fifth one you know these are teachers students yeah. kids who saw the gun you know heard about it kids who were crying like ball dropped here you know yeah. like there's already such a huge teacher shooting yeah. absolutely I be passionate about it as well where each of those individual moments for some reason it was a bigger pain in the ass to the adult in charge to investigate this and look into it than to not do so yeah and so yeah. the best thing that we can do as parents about bullying about cyberbullying about the the precursors to school shootings is to make sure that keeping your child safe is more convenient than not keeping your child safe. And that means that every once in a while we have to be willing to go in and be a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. I'm talking about emails every day, phone calls, show up in person and don't leave until you get a good answer. Talk to their boss, talk to their boss's mm -hmm. boss, leave a Yelp review that if your their job is to keep your kids safe. And sometimes, and I want to really stress that it is never well, it's almost never a uh, teacher sitting there being lazy or not caring about your kid. It's just that teachers are pulled in so many directions at once. Mm -hmm. And there are policies in place that make it difficult to 
single out a child and investigate them more deeply. They're subject to lawsuits. There's district policy. In some states, there's laws against it that can mm-hmm. make it very hard. Yeah. So it's our job to just go make not taking action even harder. Yes. And at the same time, you know, being myself in the human services field, yeah. um, obviously there's there's a line where, you know, there's ethical standards that you have yeah. to live by. You, mm-hmm. You're a mandated reporter. Yeah. You're a mandated investigator. There's laws and things in place in most states where the person investigating is protected if there was actual suspicion and reason to be going down that path, you know? Yeah. Especially if it's one kid, like a district can deal with one family being, you know, maybe out of place. Oh, you searched my kid. Well, we got reports of a gun. We just wanted to be sure. You know, I think a school district should be able to handle that one case opposed to now you have five families, a shot teacher, a ruined reputation for your entire school district, fearing all these kids, fearing these teachers, fearing your state, as to when you could have just taken that first report overly seriously, searched, found the gun, avoided it all, dealt with that one parent, that one teacher, confirmed it, no shooting, no blood, no one at risk. Instead, now you have traumatized kids, traumatized teachers, a traumatized school, traumatized district, and a traumatized community. Yeah. And a family who's probably going to be chased out of town now. Probably. And and the danger of that is everything that you're saying is true, but I also have no personal power over the the principal's decisions and over the uh, district policy and over all that. What I do have personal power is, for example, in that situation where, and I don't want to victim blame anybody. But, you know, three kids came to the principal saying, Johnny's got, a, Johnny's got a gun in his backpack. Oh, my God. If the second one of those kids was my kid and the principal knew from bitter experience that if he ignores my kid about safety stuff, I'm going to be in the waiting room at three o'clock and I'm not letting him go home until we've discussed it. Yeah, exactly. If he knew that about, in, about my kid when my kid came up, then he would be much more likely to treat that seriously in that moment. Yeah. And, you know, and, and um, this comes off as adversarial, but it doesn't have to be because that's the relationship we have with the principal. Uh, one of the best things we can do, this is not exciting. It is not as much fun as getting on the mat and going to the range. But one of the best things we can do to keep our kids safe is volunteer in the school. 100%. 100%. Become a known quantity so that be, the teachers know yeah. you, the staff knows you, the principal knows you. You know the principal's teachers and staff. You know the building. You know the grounds. Yeah. Just get in there, whether it's, you know, yeah. making photocopies in class coaching the chess team, coaching mm-hmm. the little league team. Yeah. Whatever. Be involved. Be involved. Yeah. 100%. Because that's mm-hmm. like, I go to my daughter's school. They, I just walk up, you know, between donating stuff from my, like donations and, you know, helping out after like events, helping clean up, volunteering, whatever it is, like being a dog, a dad of great students. That's what they call it. Yeah. Elementary school dog is pretty yeah. funny, but you know, being involved, that's the biggest thing you can do as a parent in your child's life is, if you are able to, yeah. or if you can find time, make the time and be there and be present. Because like yeah. you said, if they know who you are, mm-hmm. they're going to be like, okay, well, I can listen to, to Johnny's dad. I can listen to Jason because I know him. I've interacted with him. He's a good dude. He means well. We should probably take what he's saying seriously and then 
yeah. what his kid takes seriously because we have a respect for him. He helps us. The least we can do is help him. Exactly. You know? And so having that presence in the school and having that reputation, that willingness to, you know, it is a, it's friendly. I call it a positive implacability where mm-hmm. this is going to be a pleasant conversation, but it won't be over until I, until I get what I need. Yeah. Right. And having that relationship between one of those kids' parents and the principal could have stopped the entire thing in its tracks. 100%. And that's, it's not more true than the systemic and organizational issues that led to that. But it's the one, it's the thing we have power over. Yeah. We can make that decision. True. True. So obviously we don't know, you know, the, what's going on in that kid's life. Yeah. But, you know, if our, if your child or my child ever did that, what, what is your reaction? Just from like your standpoint with all the work you've done, all the amazing people you've talked to, like, what's that? How do you not have that happen as a parent? Like, what do you need to be doing? What do you need to be doing at home to not have have a basic level of responsibility with your firearms? That that could have been stopped in the fact if his parents had a trigger lock and a safe and were smart with guns. You know, I'm, I am not here. I'm not political about guns. My feeling on guns is the same way as my feeling about my table saw in my car. These are objects that make the world a little more dangerous, but fulfill a purpose that is sometimes helpful and use and necessary. Okay. Um, if you have a firearm, I hope you're training with it. One of the best, one of the best yes. ways to think about firearms, right, is think about the last time you tried to take a photo with your phone under some kind of time pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now. You handle your phone more than you handle your gun. Yep. And if you're going to have to deploy your gun, you're going to be in a lot more stress than you were under that, taking that camera. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This doesn't mean that nobody should have guns. What it means is if you're going to take a gun, get a gun, you need to take it seriously, train with it, with professionals, get your range time in, mm-hmm. and store it safely. You know, that's, yep. that's all there is. You had that, that situation with that kid could, be, could have been stopped by the parent who owned that gun having a basic level of responsibility about the firearms. Yeah. I think also part of that is at home with the gun, instead of just hiding and concealing it from your kid, I think there's a level of transparency that also has to be there when it comes to firearms, you know, different weapons in the home, things like that. It's having that communication with your kid saying, Hey, we have this in our home. This is where it's like, you can tell them where it's at. Maybe don't tell them the safe code. Yeah, But say, hey, it's here, it's locked up, it's safe for if me or your mother or whoever needs to use it. You're not ever going to have to use this in the home or outside of the home. However, you are at some point going to learn how to use it because it's an important skill for you to have. But you're going to learn how to use it by the same people who taught me. Unless yeah. you're you as the parent, you're the trained professional yeah. teaching other people. Different story. Take your kid to the range, teach them how to use it properly, but then teach yeah. them how to store it, how to lock it up until they get to an age and a point to where you know that they're responsible enough and you trust them enough to say, "Hey, you're old enough now to to know how to get to this thing in case of an emergency." Again, in case of an emergency, you have to set the clear expectation, the clear communication. I mean, for me, I know I personally don't have firearms in my home. Aaron does, however. 
but they are locked up. They are concealed. But the kids know where they are. You know, yeah. my oldest niece, she knows where they are. She knows what they are. They, she knows what they do. She mm-hmm. shot them. Yeah. But in a controlled environment with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and shooting a and target. Even, even without firing it when they're very young, uh, the advice is, hey, this is a firearm. This is where it's kept. This is what it's for. <clears throat> and if you're ever curious and want to just look at the gun or handle the firearm, let me know. We'll take some time. We'll take it out. I'll show you how to safely do it. I'll teach you the four, you know, the four golden 100%. rules. percent. And we'll even, even as you're a child, you're curious about this thing. Here you go. I, I feel yeah. about it. It's a lot like alcohol, right? Where my, my kids from about eight years old, if I'm having a beer at dinner and they want one, I will pour them a shot glass worth of the beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as they got older, my oldest is now 23. <clears throat> you know, when he was in middle school, high school, once a week or so, if he wanted to have a glass of beer with dinner, okay. When we go camping, when he was in high school, there would be a certain number of beers for the week that were mm-hmm. his. And if he wanted to, he could have all three of them on one night. So the first time he was drunk, he was around me. Yeah. He, again, and, a safe, controlled exactly. environment. And yeah. you know what's going on. You've yeah, exactly. communicated and, with him. You've taught him. Yeah. And by the time he's out on his own going to parties as a 21, 22, 23-year-old, he has an adult relationship with alcohol. Exactly. Uh, one of his friends told me a story about how somebody was ha- hassling him to drink more than he wanted to drink at a party. And the guy's like, oh, what are you afraid of a little beer? And he said, bitch, I brew beer. I just don't drink Budweiser. <laughs> yeah. See, for me, with my dad right. growing up, you know, I, didn't, yeah. I only really lived with him for like high school, like 15 mm-hmm. to yeah. like 18. Um, so I only got a few years with my dad, but I just know like when I, when I did drink, he would always tell me for every drink you have, you have a cup of water. And you eat yeah. before you go drinking. You yeah. don't eat when you're out drinking. You eat before you go. And you can still have snacks and stuff while you're there. But for every drink you get, you get a glass of water. So when I've gone yeah. drinking and out with friends and whatnot, now as an adult, I get roasted for drinking water with my alcohol. Yeah. But I'll have like maybe two ciders or something. But then yeah. I have two or three glasses of water. Yeah. The bartender looks at me weird. The waitresses look at me weird. Yeah. Well, I'm the one walking out of there with all my wits still. Yeah. Because you know, my, my, son, my oldest, he'll, he'll um, do like a Coke. And if he's getting a crap or there's a reason to, he'll say it's a rum and Coke or a whiskey and Coke. Yeah. And, and that works. But it's, but I feel that we should have a similar approach to guns where young children mm-hmm. should be able to look at them, handle them. This 100%. is if you choose to have firearms in your home. If you do not choose to have firearms in your home, that is a 100% valid thing. And I actually recommend that over 100%. having firearms. Because most people don't have the time to train properly with a firearm. Yes. But if you have firearms in your home, even the young children should be able to know where it is, know what it is for, mm-hmm. observe your relationship with it. And as they get older, take some range time in, have mm-hmm. real conversations about the ethics and realities of firearms and all of that. And, and yeah, all of this I... to say, to answer the question, what could an adult have done to prevent that from happening? He could have, he could have, excuse my French, but he, could have policed his fucking gun, you moron. Yeah, no, I mean, it comes down to the parent. It comes down yeah. to the parents. In all these situations, Yeah, you know, shootings, you know, intense bullying yeah. to the point of, you know, the kid on the other end of the bullying wants mm-hmm. to commit suicide. Yeah. It's a real yeah. issue. But, you know, for parents, it all comes down to the parents. And 
I wanted to get your take on this. Now that's come to mind, but there's so many parents that say in those situation, I just lost control of them. Yeah. I lost control. It just kind of gave up. Like, yeah. From your experience, why is that? Why are so many parents just these throwing the towel? I give up. You know, you're 12. I give up on you. I can't. Like, so there's a couple of different things. And there's the, there's, you know, you can look at it from the perspective of compassion, right? Where, that parent either had that modeling or worse from their own parent, or they are profoundly fatigued. You know, it's a, they got pregnant for the first time when they were 18 and they're working two minimum wage jobs with very little support and arguing with the, the baby mama or the baby daddy at the same time. And they just, they just don't have the personal resources. Uh, if you want to be compassionate, uh, that doesn't help the situation. But it might help be kinder to them because, you know, hurt people hurt people. Um, Very true. The other way of looking at that is, you know, sometimes, yeah, it's, it's modeling and energy. They just don't have it. They don't have the skills to raise their kid in a way that that kid's not going out to hurt people. And again, that gets to kind of like with the principles and stuff about locus of control. We can't do anything about the parents. And the worst thing you can do is go accost the parent of a child who's bullying your child. Because they're not going to, they're not going to respond well to that. <laughs> right? They just aren't. Yeah. Uh, no, I, so, sorry, go ahead. No. And so again, when that bullying is getting serious at the school, it's interesting with the police, not, sorry, not the police, but with the, the people in charge of the school. Mm-hmm. An example from one of my clients was they had a child who's being bullied severely on the bus. Um, not a whole lot of physical stuff, but a lot of just incessant name calling. And they talked to the school, but the school couldn't do much because, you know, it wasn't happening out in the school. It was happening on the bus. They talked to the bus driver a couple of times and the bus driver was not hearing it. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't, it, it was too much of a hassle to the, to the bus driver to do anything about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I had talked to him. Okay. So what I need you to do the next time you, this happens, the next time you see your kid getting off the bus and they're looking in tears, you step onto the bus. And you calmly, respectfully talk with the bus driver and you do not get off the bus until he, that bus driver has committed to doing something about it. Yeah. No. And, <laughs> and you just become, again, you become a huge pain in the ass for the person who's responsible for your child's safety. Mm-hmm. And then of course there's stuff we can do at home too, um, about screen time, about limits to screen time, talking about screen time, talking through role-playing, uh, martial arts training, self-defense training, verbal de-escalation training, all those things, you know, and we can yeah. problem solve with our kids at home. But yeah. the thing is that, you know, with the, there's a parent who is failing when somebody's being a severe bully, a severe and frequent bully. And there's nothing we can do about that parent's parenting. Mm-hmm. But we can up our parenting game so our kid has is armored. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, last year when my daughter was in Head Start, Head Start program, um, she had a kid in her class that would like hit her, bully her to the point where she just did not want to go to school. Yeah. I would talk to my ex about it and she was like, well, she didn't, she cared, but not almost not enough I felt like sometimes to the point where wherever I heard about this kid and what was going on that she left school in tears again or she was upset yeah. you know I had that uh teachers you know their the school like cell phone number for like that classroom and whatnot um 
you know, I would text that teacher, hey, you know, again, she came home in tears. She was really upset about what happened today. You know, have you talked to his parents? Have you communicated this back, you know, to the point where, you know, we talked about it so often. I thought she was just like <laughs> so over me as yeah. a person. And she was just like annoyed, but yeah. it got better. It got mm-hmm. a lot better, but yeah. also it was also, I was able to have that conversation with her where it was like <clears throat> our goals that we would work on, you know, in Head Start, which is an amazing program. It's out there in most communities. It's most likely free for middle and low income families um, to get into amazing, but to the point where it's like issues got better her goals were to work on her like emotional reactions and things to where she wouldn't take it as seriously. So it was like both issues were being worked on at the same time yeah. um, to the point to where now I'm just going to expose myself 100% here to all my listeners. And I know she still listens to this podcast, but um, her and I talked like after the school year, you know, I was very interested in her Um Things didn't work out, unfortunately, but, you know, not opposed to if they ever change, that changes, but that's besides the point. But, um, you know, you have to, like you're saying, you have to be that big pain in the ass if you want to see the results. So, yeah. And again, you can be affable, but just imply, I'm not going away. I'm going to be polite. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be pleasant. I'm not going away. Yeah, I'm gonna be nice when I'm here until I yeah. until I know until I'm gonna not be nice. Yeah, exactly. Roadhouse. <laughs> yeah, like if I need to raise a scene, guess what? I'm gonna raise yeah. a damn scene. Yeah. Um, because I mean, heck, I did that this morning on a work group text. Yeah. Because I was there's being, a, you know, there's a very small woman who I train with, who's a seventh degree black belt, one of the most dangerous women in the world, as far as I can tell. Crap. Who was um being implacable and polite uh, with somebody with some authority and I can't give a lot of details. Yeah, of course. And she, but she's in, she's in the lobby and she's always been very impeccable, very polite, very nice, very. And then the person said, well, what you're going to have to do is wait three weeks for an answer. And this was after that she had been waiting and been promised the answer. And, and it was an important thing. And then she just, all of a sudden, the fuck I will. <laughs> and then her voice just goes back down to normal and smiling. <laughs> so what are we going to do instead? But yeah. those are, these are ways you can do it. And yeah. it all gets back to a lot of these questions about there are things that happen at school. The thing about school safety that is, I think, the worst for us parents is we have no control. Yes, It's, it's kind of like why people are more afraid to fly than they are to drive, even though driving is much more dangerous than flying. Because yes. we're driving, we're behind the wheel. <laughs> yeah, we're our own danger. Yeah, so we, we focus on what we can control and what our kids can control. And then we train them as best we can to be safe and happy and flourishing with the, you know, with the skills and tools that we give them. And then we support them behind the scenes like a rat in a phone booth if we have to. Yes. Yeah. No. And that's, that's what it comes down to. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, you know, Yeah. even at school, it's out of their control, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, the nation we live in, especially in the Northwest, it's a lot more, I don't know. I don't like the word indoctrinized, indoctrinalization. I don't really love those terms, but I mean, it is what it is, but it's the left coast. It's the left coast. 
100%. So there's a lot of things out of our control as parents who mm-hmm. have, there's a lot of parents out there who are on our side, who have mm-hmm. good heads on their shoulders, who yeah. just want their kids to end up being good, decent human beings. Because we know yeah. that school's not going to teach them a damn thing about being a decent human being. We know school's not going to teach them about culture and, you know, it's going to teach them very basic skills of tolerance, but it's not going to teach them why we need to have tolerance toward different communities. It's not going to tell them why we need to care about these different issues. It's just going to tell them to do it. It's not going to tell them why they need to do it. And that's where it comes down to a lot of us at home as parents is we have to teach them why and reinforce, okay, this is why you're learning that. Like I had the discussion with my oldest daughter um, beginning of the month, you know, we're part African-American Um, I'm a quarter African-American. My daughter's an eighth African-American. And so we bought these shirts at Target from their Black History collection. I referenced this in our last episode, but, um, you know, just these culture shirts that have these different colored faces on them and whatnot. That led into a whole discussion on what's Black History Month? Why Mm -hmm. is it important? Like, you know, and she, they had learned some of the things, you know, they had learned the basic about Rosa Parks. Yeah. She's like, oh, like the woman on the bus. Um, and then, you know, went deeper than that. You know, Martin, Rosa, Thurgadoo, all these great African-American leaders to the point where it's like, you know, you come from amazing roots in the African-American yeah. community. You know, Aaron's and I, great, great grandfather, you know, was there writing about the Negro Leagues at the very beginning, mm-hmm. was on the bus, on the train from Chicago to from New York to Chicago, you know, switching this time zone to where he would be in New York in the morning, get the news, be in Chicago, reporting the news. Okay. Same news, bringing it over, you know, Faye Young. Um, But he was really one of the people who pioneered sports journalism along among the African-American community Hmm. really made it okay. You know, he had a close relationship with Jackie Robinson during segregation in baseball. You know, he was, he's not talked about in that story hardly at all, unfortunately, but he was, he was there. He was one of Jackie's like really close friends Hmm. and wrote about Jackie specifically, wrote about early boxing, you know, African-Americans in boxing and things like that. All sports, you know, African-American. It's really cool. So it's like, we have to teach them why these things are important and why they should be important to them. Yeah while also letting them kind of ask the questions and learn on their own and come back home with more questions. We have to lay a foundation for them. Yeah. And there's some really great ways we can do that. One of my favorites is just as the kids can have the kid know, you got to come home with something. I don't know. Yes. Dig deep. If you have to come home with something, I don't know. Um, And that's, and one of the challenges right now that really dovetails with what you're talking about is we're not going to love everything that people teach in schools. Yes. You know, CRT is a big, it's a big mountain made out of molehill, but it's a big talking point. We might yeah. not like all of the political opinions that teachers express. We might not like the way civics is taught. We might not, you know, this and that and the other. We might not like that they're learning how to do cursive, but they still don't know what taxes are. Whatever it is. Mm-hmm there's a parental instinct to say, well, you don't have to listen to that. But instead, like you're saying, what are the valuable lessons they can gain out of that? Yes. What's like the if, deeper, what's deeper below, yeah. you know, like, Oh, my teacher said this about the mm-hmm. LBGT community. 
Yeah. Okay. That's what they think about that. Mm-hmm. Here's what I think about that. Mm-hmm. And what I know about it. That's what they know about it. Here's what, you know, is taught. Yeah. You you have all the information. Mm-hmm. You decide your opinion on this. Yeah. Or you go or you go even one deeper about say you're a parent who's really opposed to CRT. Mm-hmm. And the chief comes back with it and you're saying, okay, you know what? They're teaching CRT and that's, that is what they're teaching. But the core of the, of this idea is introspection, understanding your place in the world, understanding the ways that you're powerful, the ways that you might not be as powerful as you could be and the ways that your power can accidentally hurt people. And that's something everybody needs to know to grow mm-hmm. up into being a good person, whether or not you apply it to critical race theory or just to be in a good boss of the Burger King you work at when you're going to college, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you find yeah. those core things that are important and valuable, even in the stuff that at the end of the day, you think is kind of bullshit. Yeah. Cause I mean, CRT, that's, that's so important. I had to look up to remember exactly what it was, but yeah, it's important because we have to know the past. We have to know mm-hmm. the racism that happened. Yeah. We have to know all these elements that created and got us to the point where we are today. Cause every yeah. reason why, you know, when it comes to LBGTQ rights, when it comes to yeah. rights of different races, inequality of women, mm-hmm. we have to, our kids have to know where all this stuff came from. Yeah. It came from somewhere. Yeah. But you yet now they're more if you don't know what made it break down, let alone exactly. society. Exactly. And so now with them not being taught the stuff that made it break in the first place, it's going to yeah. break again. Yeah. Same ways it broke the first time. Exactly. Or probably the second, third time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's important. It's, it's important, you know, and I want to say it was in Florida and this one for me being a baseball fan and caring so much about the Negro leagues and African-American history in the sport. But in Florida, they banned the book on Roberto Clemente. Yeah. Roberto Clemente, the man of the year award, the Roberto Clemente award, in baseball, very similar to NFL, the Walter Payton Award, you know, the man, which I had a huge issue with that at the Super Bowl, how Dak Prescott got booed for yeah. receiving the Man of the Year Award. Like, I get it, but not okay. Yeah. Um, anyways, they banned the Roberto Clemente book because the author had, you know, notations on critical race theory. And yeah. taught it from the perspective of race, not about the story of Roberto Clemente. But it's like, you can't tell the story of Jackie Robinson, Roberto Clemente, or yeah. any of these pioneers in any of these sports, Kareem, Michael Jordan. Yeah. You can't tell the true story of any of these guys from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, yeah. even into the 70s of African-American athletes without without the race. Yeah. Exactly. I recently read a uh, collection of uh, boxing journalism, uh, just a bunch of articles by going back to Jack London mm-hmm. about different boxing matches from the late nineteen, from the late eighteen hundreds up into the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. And you know what? The first two thirds of that book was deeply steeped in race. Oh yeah, this is boxing yeah. in the early twentieth century. I mean, yeah. come on, what, what, what are you expecting, folks? This is where the phrase "the Great White Hope" came from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> come on. And I yeah. think this all kind of we've we've accidentally created a theme of stuff's going to go on at school, and you might le- you're not going to like all of it, and we can focus on what we can control, and we can and how we can teach our kids to respond to it. Mm-hmm. Whether that's curriculum decisions that you're not thrilled with, whether that's bullies, whether it's the possibility of a school shooting, 
it all gets back to understanding what's in our control, what's not in our control, and how we can help our kids train for when things get rough. 100%. 100%. No, I love that. Um, so to wrap up here, you know, we talked about a bunch of things. We talked about stranger danger, the three Fs, school safety, bullying, shooting, gun control, gun safety. So many things. Like we mentioned at the beginning, there's so many things when it comes to being a parent, having kids. Um, what would your, for, for this interview for with us today, with me today, what's your you know, concluding statement here. If you had to wrap it all together from what we talked about today, what's one thing or a couple things that this all really just boils down to? So the biggest thing is that although we have been taught otherwise, we have far more control and influence over how safe our kids' world is than we think. And whether that is teaching our kids what kind of strangers to approach for help, whether that is having the principal know that if he ignores your kid's safety concerns, he won't get a phone call. Whether that's if we choose to have a firearm or the weapon in the house, making sure that we store it safely and teach our kids properly about that. Um, all of that. These are things we can control. And if we focus on what we can control and give ourselves permission to not spend a lot of time on the stuff that we can't control, mm-hmm. then we'll make our lives simpler and, and our kids' lives safer. Now, if you'll allow me to, I'm going to, uh, I'd love to plug a book that I've got coming out in the next couple of oh, weeks. Of course, of course. Yeah. Plug away. Yeah. This All is, right. so wrap us up, plug away. So this book is coming out in the, very shortly and it's uh, called Save His Family on the Block, 101 Tips, yes. Tricks, Habits, and Hacks for uh, to Protect Your Kid. Yep. And it's literally the 101 best pieces of advice I got off of the experts that I've interviewed over you know, the last three years and then in my martial arts training beforehand. Uh, a couple of examples are, it goes from the very simple and very specific of when you, when you buy a new pair of running shoes, the next pair lives in, the, lives in your trunk. That way, if your car breaks down on date night when your, mom, when your wife's in stilettos and you're wearing nice dress shoes that are terrible to walk in, you got a comfortable broken down pair of shoes in the car to change into. Yes. Um, it's that specific up to advice about like the chapter that I was finished this morning was about when you're talking to your kid about sex and relationships, why we shouldn't freak out, even though we're probably going to freak out yeah. and breaking down the, the most common reasons parents freak out when they're having these conversations and how we can practice self-control and not freak out because if we freak out, they're just going to dig in their heels. Yep. <laughs> right. So yeah. No, I, broad spectrum. no, I love that. No, I go ahead. Sorry. So that's very coming up very soon. And then another thing, and I would like to make this offer to all of you listeners. Uh, we're, I don't know when folks are listening to this, but we're recording it after a week, four days with four shootings, five days with four shootings in the world. Dang. Yeah, uh, no, I, I wasn't even up on that. Yeah. There was the Michigan state. There was a mall in the Midwest. There was another in California. And then there was another shooting that I, I saw briefly late at night on Thursday. Huh. Uh, it's, yeah, we're recording this on the 21st and yeah. a release on um, – we'll be releasing this to the general public tomorrow, Tuesday for an early release, early access. And then it will be promoted on Wednesday, the 23rd, um, okay. everywhere uh-huh. that we go live and promote. So, And so folks are picking up right away. This just happened last week. And if you're listening to it six months from now, infuriatingly, there has probably been some kind of mass shooting event in the recent past. 
It's probably been um, at least two if you're list two yeah. or three if you're listening in six months from now, August twenty twenty three. I yeah. mean, heck, who knows what the world looks like in six months? It's crazy right now. Yeah. Between it is. I mean, you have the huge oil tanker, the explosions of the trains in Ohio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which no one's talking about. Yeah. No one's talking about it enough, but they have no mm-hmm. water, crops are dead, animals are dead. Their the their kind of whole supply chain is dead. This is the kind of thing that happens in a cyberpunk movie, not in the developed world. But no, um, I've got a I've got a course. It's a very simple course that I've put out for parents about school shootings, how to assess your child's abilities, how to assess your school's plan to respond to a shooting, how to talk about it at home, how to create a plan, because sometimes the school plan doesn't isn't a good plan. Uh. For example, in my school district, they have the same plan for all the schools, which works great for the concrete box with a lot of little concrete boxes inside of it with a with a metal door that locks, like mm-hmm. the high school is. But my son's elementary school, the uh, every single classroom had a glass sliding patio door that led outside. Oh dang! Okay. So the plan that works for the concrete box doesn't work for that. So we actually developed a no. new, different plan for our son about. If this happens, we live a block and a half away from that school. He doesn't attend it anymore, but mm-hmm. his school shooting plan was to go through the glass sliding door and get home. Yeah. All right. Makes so this sense. so this this is a program that I'm I've rolled out recently. I'm getting a lot of really good feedback about it where we go personally through your family's abilities and needs and situation, coach you on how to find out what the school shooting um plan is for their school. That's not always easy to get because of OPSEC. But um and then walk through creating a plan and give advice about how to talk to your kids about that plan without scaring the crap out of them. And I love that. Anybody, and everyone can find that on safestfamilyontheblock.org, correct? Yeah, you can find that on safestfamilyontheblock.org. If any of your listeners just shoot me a direct message on Instagram, I will go ahead and discount the price 50% because I think it's really important that people this information get out there because this is, again, this is a situation that we feel so powerless about. But in fact, we have immense ability to increase our kids chances true and then that's your instagram um handle for everyone listening is at the safest family on the block so that's correct that's us all all pretty simple pretty concrete to find jason here um let's see one last question before we head out here this is a um should ask this at the top before we even got into it but i mean you already passed the right of passage here but um does pineapple go on pizza Pineapple goes on pizza, but not as well as corn. Corn. Okay, yes. Okay, I can I can agree with that. Corn is corn goes on everything. Corn is delicious. Yeah. I spent uh, I spent the better part of two years uh, living in Japan, uh, training back in my twenties, and they put corn on pizza. They also put scrambled eggs on pizza, which is not I don't recommend. But the corn yeah. is it gives that sweet little hit that pineapple does, but it's also a little more savory than pineapple, so it's not as jarring. Okay. That makes sense. No, I love some corn. I love some corn. Unrelated, but have you tried the new Cheetos that came out? They're like uh, Mexican uh, street corn flavored Cheeto. That would be very good. They're like a neon bag. They're like Elote Cheetos. And And we're talking about the the corn with the the cheese on it and the chilies and all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you get it a good stand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, go and look down at your local gas station because I bet the, I bet they have them. So outstanding, I will do that. But anyways, um, 
Jason, thank you so much for coming on. I definitely appreciate it. Um, we appreciated having you again, guys. The safest family on the or safest family on the block.org to find all these amazing resources that Jason just listed. Uh, safest the safest family on the block on Instagram on the website. I believe there is a pre order for the uh safe home blueprint, right? Or so this. The safe home blueprint is that's out and available. That's a whole. It's a workbook yes. for securing your home from uh, crime and accidents. But there is pre-orders for Safest Family on the Block, hundred to one tips and tricks. Yes, that's yeah. I forgot. There's two. There's multiple books here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we mentioned that in the opening. Again, we'll link. I'll link Jason's Instagram, um, website, these resources in the show notes. So make sure you guys check that out and. Yeah. Again, thanks for coming on. Definitely appreciate you. Appreciate your knowledge. Um, there's plenty more to talk about. So who knows? Maybe we can uh, hustle you back into coming back on again. So be my pleasure. Thank you so much for having us on. Stay safe, everybody. Hey, hey, you are you still here with me? Thank you so much for listening all the way to the very end. Definitely appreciate it. Don't forget to leave five stars, leave a comment, leave a review, head over to YouTube, subscribe, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias, even TikTok. And all of those links, plus every single deal that we have in affiliation, you can find in our link tree just by going to the show notes, clicking the link tree link. It really does help us just with likes, five stars, subscribes, all of that. It's a great way to support us and it really helps us keep going. We really appreciate you. Have a wonderful day. Can't wait to be with you next week.